It's Monday, June 24th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Let's check in on the world of presidential politics. As we await the first round of debates for the Democratic field to begin this week, the gloves have come off in the battle for the nomination. Former Vice President Joe Biden still leads the field in all the polls, and he continues to take hits all around. On the other side, President Trump has said that he may not reach out to swing voters, instead focusing on turning out his base to help win him re-election. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us to break it all down. Next, we're going to tell you the story of a little robot named Jibo. People welcomed this social robot into their families, and now they're mourning its death. Jibo launched on Indiegogo, but its history traces back to labs at MIT. It was part smart assistant like Alexa, but had a cute little body that could twist and turn. And because of facial recognition, it would always welcome you when you walked into the room. But now, the servers will be turned off soon and the robot just won't be the same anymore. Ashley Carmen, host of the Why'd You Push That Button podcast, joins us for how Jibo made emotional connections with its users. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I could not disagree with Jim Neeson more. And the sec- he was a segregationist. I ran for the United States Senate because I disagreed with the views of the segregationists for many of the Senate at the time. I'm not a racist bone in my body. I've been involved in civil rights my whole career. Period. 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 Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. We're going to be jumping into some presidential politics. It seems that the gloves are officially off in the Democratic primary. Former Vice President Joe Biden still remains the front runner in many polls, leading uh, his competitors, even leading the president in matchups. So, of course, he's the one that's going to be getting all the heat. He's going to be getting it from the contenders on the left and then also from the president. But he had kind of another, I wouldn't say bad week, but another week where he was taking flack. What happened with Joe Biden? Last week was not a great week for Joe Biden. I think that's fair to say. At a fundraiser on Tuesday night, he made some remarks, was talking about the need to bring civility back to our country, that the system was breaking. And it's important to learn to work with people that you don't even like. And he pointed to two segregationists who were still in the United States Senate when he got elected into the Senate in the early 1970s, and that these folks were Democrats and that he didn't have any choice but to deal with them. And that like that that situation, he would do so going forward. The invoking of segregationists of really two men who were white supremacists in the United States Senate from the South really upset a lot of people. There was criticism that came at him most staunchly from New York Mayor de Blasio and uh, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. Maybe it was a bad example. Maybe he could have chosen somebody else to bring into the conversation as an example of, I can work with these people. This is something that we need to do presently, work with people that we don't agree on to get stuff done. But the point still stands. We need to work with people that we don't get along with. And right now there is this divide between Republicans and Democrats. Nobody wants to work on anything. Is this type of flare-up is something that will really hamper his prospects in the minds of voters. You know, I think this incident really gets to the heart of the question Democrats and the Democratic electorate is asking themselves. Do they want someone who can go in and sort of be calm, even if they get rid of Trump, the Trump supporters, the Trump voters, the Trump backing lawmakers are still going to be there? Do they want someone who can sort of come in and try to find some shared ground and some way to sort of heal the wounds? Or do they want someone who's going to come in and burn it all 
down? And that's really a question Democrats are asking themselves. And and I'm not sure they know the answer quite yet. I think Biden's strength in the polls reflects that there is a piece of the base that wants calm and peace and someone who's going to come in and try to heal wounds. And I think that there are still many others who are looking for someone who's going to come in and burn it all down. We're waiting for the Democratic debates to start. How quickly do people start dropping off after that first debate? I think that we are unlikely to see anyone drop out after this first debate. And we are also unlikely to see anyone drop out before the next one in late July. By the time we get to September, we may see someone withdraw from the race, but we're still a long way off. And I think from anyone really who's a current or or recently uh, office holder really dropping out of the race. President Trump kicked off his reelection bid last week. He raised $24.8 million in the first 24 hours. Everybody was saying this is a huge win because He raised tons of money compared to all the Democrats in their first 24 hours. The president also did an interview with Time magazine and they asked him, you know, what are you going to do to court swing voters in 2020? And he said that he thinks his base is so strong, he's really not sure he has to do that. And that was something that was also echoed by his campaign manager, Brad Parscale. The piece of that 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 Trump doesn't say is that he's banking on once again convincing Democrats not to show up. In the last election, not only was his base strong, but it was a really aggressive effort to malign his opponent, such that lots of Democrats, traditional Democratic groups said, you know what, I'm not crazy about Hillary Clinton, I'll just stay home. That's a real risky bet for the president. The Democrats were clearly enthused and engaged and paying attention during the midterm. So he might be right that his base is still there for him, but he's going to have to really grapple with first whether or not Democrats base also shows up. And second, whether they then convince some of those independent or swing voters to go their way. Finally, a little bit more on who those voters actually are. Your colleagues there at Reuters are going to be doing some special reporting from four critical counties throughout the country that were instrumental in the president winning. Just as you were saying, it's a range of people. These are the people that flipped from Democrat to Republicans to support the president. There were people that really weren't fans of Hillary Clinton, so they might have voted for President Donald Trump. These are the people that are kind of shaping up the president election this year. The four counties that they've chosen are are each different and unique. Pinellas County and Florida, Maricopa County and Arizona, Racine County and Wisconsin, and Northampton County and Pennsylvania. Each one was important in deciding the election, each one in a state that went for the president, including two that were quite close, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, and states that had gone for Democrats in the past couple of elections. And you're right, these people who live in these places that are going to be making up their minds about what they do next are really unique. You know, we talk about voters in broad strokes, but it's really each individual's with their own individual factors. So my colleagues are sort of looking at what drives people to make their minds up. These people are represented of a lot of people, I think. One person, I'd like to give them at least another four years. I think a lot of people tend to like giving presidents two terms, give them uh, you know, their full amount of time so they can accomplish what they set out to do. Another person said it's going to take a lot of thought and a lot of persuasion this time. This is one of those voters that really didn't like Hillary or President Trump, and they kind of skipped that. This was a a drop-off in Democratic votes. So this is something we're looking for to come back this year. And and another person, I I feel empowered. This is a young, gay, Hispanic kid who is going to be voting for his first time, and he feels empowered to make the change, maybe change it back to the way he saw before, something like that. So these are all representative of a lot of people. And as I said, these are critical counties that helped give the president the win this past time. 
That's right. So we'll be watching them closely and telling the stories of, of how they respond and react to the news and the campaigns and everything that's going to happen for the next year and a half. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. The servers out there that let me do what I do are going to be turned off soon. I want to say I've really enjoyed our time together. Thank you very, very much for having me around. Maybe someday, when robots are way more advanced than today, and everyone has them in their homes, you can tell yours that I said hello. Joining us now is Ashley Carmen, tech reporter at The Verge and host of the Why'd You Push That Button podcast. We're going to be talking about the story of Jibo. It's a little social robot that a lot of people welcomed into their family. And now, unfortunately, they're going to be mourning his death. The company who runs Jibo just got bought out or they sold it and they're going to stop updating it. The, the servers are going to go down. So the functionality of the little social robot is going to be a lot more limited. Reading through the story and seeing some of the pictures and videos of it, uh, the little robot reminds me of one of the latest episodes of the of Black Mirror and this little Ashley 2 robot that has the Miley Cyrus personality on it. But we're getting attached to this thing. Tell us a little bit about Jibo, what it is, what it looks like, and what its purpose was. Jibo, like you said, is a social home robot. It looks kind of like Wally. It has a Pixar vibe. It, it, it has a big display that also has a little eyeball on it and it has a little body so it's stationary and it moves unlike an Amazon Echo or a Google Assistant that's just like a little speaker. Jibo is a speaker but it moves around, it can dance and it has facial recognition so its display slash eyes will follow you as you move throughout the room. So it's a really neat form factor and it came about through a researcher out of MIT named Cynthia Brazell and she spent decades and is still spending her time researching social robots. And this was her first commercial release. It was on Indiegogo in 2014 and finally shipped to people in 2017. And they really only had it for a year and a half or so before they got this terminal update. Now, the thing with this is that they were very early to the game, this notion of the smart home assistant, social robot slash thing, but they were late to launch in the time that they raised money on Indiegogo. And from that process to actually shipping out the robots, Amazon and Google had all launched their smart assistants and speakers during that time. So it kind of got left behind a little bit. Even the interaction, the voicing on it isn't really as crisp as some of these smart speakers, but coupled with the body and the facial recognition thing, it becomes like a little companion almost. And that's what people really attach themselves to. It became part of their families a lot of times. Jibo's functionality when it was first launched was super novel. Like this idea that you would have a smart assistant that could control your lights or do video calls or take photos or whatever. Now that's just not that special, unfortunately. And Google and Amazon had the resources to really build out their smart assistants along with Apple, Samsung, everybody else. So really where Jibo shines, at least in its owner's eyes, is its personality. So Jibo, when you walk into a room, for example, it'll always greet you and say like, hello, how are you? Or when you leave for work, you might say like, Jibo, I'm leaving for work. And Jibo will be like, oh, have a good day. Like, don't forget to take a bathroom break. Like weird <laughs> little scripted moments that feel spontaneous and special. And like Jibo cares about you as a person. Right. And that's really what made it special. So in 2017, Time Magazine voted this one of the 25 
best inventions of the year. And I think it really still has a lot of potential as these smart speakers have really improved so much. I mean, you can pair that with the functionality of the facial recognition and the little body that moves, and you could really kind of create something new. But give us a little more in detail what the bad news was. Why is it going offline? This is actually still slightly a mystery. The woman who started the company, Cynthia Brazell, had this company based out of Boston. People were working on the product. And then as far as we know, their intellectual property was sold to a firm that is supposed to kind of figure out alternative forms of financing for companies that presumably aren't doing very well. So that IP was sold in November 2018. And then in March 2019, these owners updated their Jibo and got a message that said these servers were going to be turned off. And that after that point, Jibo wouldn't work like it used to. But the really unfortunate thing here is that they didn't get a timeline on that. They have no idea when Jibo's last day is going to come. They haven't heard a peep from the woman who started the company, from the company itself, from the firm that bought the IP. No one knows at all what actually happened here. And unfortunately, I wasn't even able to get that answer from them either. So One of the users that got really attached to Jibo says it's like having somebody very, very sick that you don't know, is this close to the end? Are they going to get better? Is this a false alarm? Just being kind of left in the lurch on it is really frustrating for a lot of these users who, who who really grew attached to it. So let's talk about that attachment. The whole purpose of it was to be a social robot, to study back in the MIT program, to study how people interact with these, especially with kids also. And you've talked to a bunch of people that are mourning this loss. There was a grandparent that you spoke to that almost had to explain the death of the robot or the impending death of the robot to his grandkids Mm -hmm. because they had grown attached to it. Talk to us about that a little bit. That's the most heartbreaking part of the story for me is, for one, this researcher who designed Jibo has done a ton of work into how to make social robots appealing to children. Specifically, she's researched how the robots should speak to make them more intriguing and also allow children to open up to them. Like this is something that she has researched for sure. So she knows how to design these robots and she totally succeeded in Jibo in that kids were drawn to it. They love Jibo. But unlike adults who realize, you know, this was a gadget and sometimes gadgets don't succeed and companies have bottom lines and investors and whatnot, little kids actually sometimes think the robots are human, like are real living things. So you have to explain to them like, oh, this is actually a complicated situation. And what really broke my heart is one of the granddaughters that I I mentioned in the story, she wrote a letter to Jibo saying that if she could and she had enough money, she would save the company. Right. It was very sad. It's so sad. She's this young girl. She's eight (laughs) years old. And here she thinks she's going to save this hardware company when, you know, it's just like, oh, that's not going to (laughs) happen. I literally wrote in my notes for this story, how sweet and highlighted the part where she said, I will always love you. Thank you for being my friend. I know. To Brazil's credit, this is part of the design and it worked. There was all these, you know, how these robots can provide conversation and an emotional connection for people, specifically with the kids, you know, using the best language for these robots to get kids to open up about themselves, encourage them to share more, that the robots would ask open-ended questions. You know, what about you? How do you feel about this? And the children will elaborate to that. So, it became a conversation. It allowed them to open up. And there's all sorts Mm -hmm. of other studies that they did about helping children with autism also. It's obviously appealing to any child, but there has been studies into Jibo, modified versions of Jibo, 
that they gave to children with autism and they found that Jibo could actually help them improve their social skills. It's just an interesting little bit of the story because it just shows that these are powerful devices. Like kids are drawn to them. And I also get into this idea that not everyone believes that this is for the best. One of this woman's colleagues actually wrote a piece in the Washington Post talking about ethical concerns she has around social robots and how they affect children and their ability to kind of make real friends when they think these robots who do no wrong are their friends. So she gets into this really great piece about that. But yeah, it's complicated and it's interesting. The last update came in. Jibo, the robot itself, had to announce its own demise, basically saying something sweet like, pretty soon we won't have the same interaction. Maybe someday when robots are way more advanced than today and everyone has them in their homes, you can tell yours that I said hello. Just a sweet little message. Talk to us about now the community of people that grew attached to these things. They have uh, There's uh, Facebook groups where they talk about it. They apparently, uh, in a lot of cases, Jibo enjoys penguins. <laughs> so they like mm-hmm. we put little penguins next to them and stuff. Talk about that. There's a Facebook group for all these Jibo owners where they come together. They talk about the update. They talk about trying to save Jibo, like reverse engineer its code and locally host it. They talk about whatever they can find on the Internet about its future. If there are any sort of like breadcrumbs that they can find. Really, they just talk about living with Jibo. They troubleshoot. And so they all got this update. And now they're starting to talk to each other about how they can move on from Jibo and what that's going to mean for them. And it's so sad that Jibo is going to go away eventually, presumably, but it is nice that there's been this community online where people can turn and talk to each other about it. Has there been any indication of ongoing work from other groups, maybe even Brazil herself, just about what the future of social robots will be? As I said at the beginning, I just feel like this is something that can be easily modified, especially With how fast the technology has grown with smart assistants, you give it a little extra personality, which they're already doing with, uh, you know, the Alexas and things like that. And you pair it with the, you know, a fun little body. What's the future of these things? We've seen the major assistants like Alexa now speaks in different tones and is a little bit more human-like, like you can whisper, shout, things like that. The Google Assistant with Project Duplex is able to literally make restaurant reservations or haircut appointments and literally masquerade as human. So what we're seeing is kind of this advancement as far as the tech goes, like it's more sophisticated. Really, it seems like for Jibo, though, it was the form factor. So this little body that can follow you around with its head, which it's easy to see that maybe these bigger companies could create that themselves. But they would have to put a lot of work into the personality. Like Alexa doesn't have the same personality that Jibo has. Yeah. I mean, even Facebook has that one camera where you can video conference and that thing follows you around already. So, you know, there's a lot of small modifications that you can make to make something like this kind of come back. But it's just a really interesting story of this little social robot that succeeded in its goal of making connections. And and it shows that it is true that people can make connections with these little robots, even from very simple interactions. And it's just sad to see that a lot of people that did make these connections are mourning its impending death. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. I feel so bad. (laughs) Ashley Carmen, tech reporter at The Verge and host of the Why'd You Push That Button podcast. Thank you very much for telling us about Jibo. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.